So reading from verse 1 of chapter 17 through to verse 15 of chapter 18. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, 
or circumcise with him. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so that you can now be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servants. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sails of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near, un near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind them, him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Thank you very much for reading for us. Let's pray before we look at God's words. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you um, and praise you uh, for, Lord, without it we would be lost. Without it we would not know who you are. We would not know your heart. We would not know your character. We would not know the great things that you have done for us. Um, and Father, we pray for us, God, as we look at your word, as we look at these promises that you make, we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see how this passage should be applied to our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've been joining us for the past couple of weeks, uh, you will have seen that in Genesis, God makes a huge promise to Abraham, uh, a promise that God would bring about in his own time. Uh, because this, because of the, the, the period of time that the God's promise spans over, we, we've watched Abraham and Sarai grow impatient. We've watched them take matters into their own hands. And to be honest, they make a bit of a mess about it. They go back to relying on themselves instead of relying on God's promise. Uh, Sarai says, hey, what about a plan B option? Here's my Egyptian servant. Maybe Abraham, you can have a family through her. Put yourself into God's shoes. You've given these two childless people a wonderful promise of not just one son, but of a family that outnumbers the stars. You've told them to be patient and they can't. How would you react? But God has made a covenant with Abraham, knowing full well that Abraham will go and try to bring about this promise himself in his own terms. 
But God wants both Abraham and Sarai to know that this promise is totally dependent on him. That without God, Abraham and Sarai's family, their line, their descendants that will outnumber the stars, will be impossible. Let's have a look at our text, starting at verse first one of chapter 17. The first thing we're told is Abram's age, and you might think, well, that, that's interesting, isn't it? But actually, age is quite important because it actually marks, if you go back and read the whole story of Abraham, we see different little glimpses of what age Abram is as we go through his story. We learn in verse one that he is, in fact, 99 years old, a pretty old guy. But when he's first called by God to leave his land, we read in chapter 12 that he's 75 and if you do, if you're really good at maths, you'll find out that's 24 years have went by from when first God promised Abraham a son, promised him a nation to now. 24 years of waiting. It's also been 13 years since Ishmael was born. Sorry, 16 years. Oh yeah, 13 years since Ishmael was born. 13 years of waiting, of waiting and wondering maybe Ishmael is the promise and maybe Ishmael is the way God will bless me. Sarai and Abram have a long wait. And to this 99-year-old man, God appears and God reaffirms his promise in verses 1 and 2. He says that he will make a covenant with him. And he's not repeating himself. He's not making a new covenant, but he's affirming what he's already said. God's going to go into this promise and he's going to expand it. He's going to make what he said way back in chapter 12, what he said in chapter 15, and he's going to expand it, making it bigger, filling out what exactly that relationship, what that promise will mean. Some new things we get in this passage that we haven't seen before in the promise is, number one, that verse four, God renames Abram. And I'm really glad of this because I've been calling him Abraham all night, and finally I can do it without being wrong. Uh, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Uh, you can unmute for a second. If anybody's got a cheats Bible, a study Bible, can anybody uh, shout out if they can see what does Abraham mean? If anybody has it in a little footnote. Exalted father. Thank you. Yeah, that's what, I've, that's what I've got to in the NIV. So Abraham's went Pro being probably. called... Probably, probably is what the the um, NIV says. My ESV, I'm going to side with Edward, was doing a better job and being more certain than the NIV was. Um, but basically, Abram means father, and Abraham means father of many. I was using verse 5 as my little definition of what Abram means, for I have made you a father of many nations. So he's been called father of many to father of many nations. Now, is near to begin with is even a little bit ironic, isn't it? Because biblical names are prophetic. They tell us about a person. They tell us what that person might be or what that person might do. And you can kind of imagine a conversation when Abraham meets somebody new, can't you? Hi, my name's John. What's your name? Hi, I'm, I'm Abram. Um, oh, yeah, that, that means father of many, doesn't it? So how, how many kids do you have? None or one? And here we have God changing the name that means father to father of more to father of even more many. Still an awkward conversation. And you might think, is God playing a, a cruel joke on Abraham? What's your name? Father to of a multitude of nations. How many kids do you have? Well, still only one. But look at the tense in verse 5. 
It's a past tense. I have made you. To God, his promise to Abraham is so secure that it's as good as done. God isn't joking, but his promise is so settled, so real, it's like it has already happened. That's the first thing we see. Abram becomes Abraham. The second thing we see is that there's going to be a sign of God's promise. There's going to be a physical sign, and that is going to be circumcision. And initially, that sounds pretty strange, pretty weird, and awkward. Why did God pick this to be his sign? But actually, when you think about it, it makes sense. Uh, and without going into too much biology and being as tactful as I can, God is going to produce a nation, multitudes of people through Abram. So it makes sense that the vehicle of procreation has the mark of God's promise on it as a tangible reminder that it's God's faithfulness that brings the fulfillment of the promise about. That's a long sentence. But Abraham will have a physical mark on the means of producing the nation that only God can bring about. I think we survive that. So circumcision makes sense. Every time Abraham has, has a child, every time his descendants have a child, they will remember that it is God that has done this. It's because of God's promise to Abraham. It's a reminder that Abraham's children need to rely on God. It's also a warning if you look down in our passage, if you look at verse um, 13 and 14. If anybody doesn't, if anybody's not circumcised, they will be cut off. And what this is doing is getting us ready for another great promise as well, that there is one coming who will be the Christ, who will be the Messiah finally from the, the line of Abraham. So we've had a name change, we've had circumcision, we've got that over and done with. We've got another name change because Abraham is not the only one with a new name. Sarai is getting a new name as well. Verses 15 and 16. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Sarai goes from Sarai to Sarah, meaning princess, meaning queen. Uh, lots of nations will come from her as well through this family that God has brought together. God says that it's through the family of Sarah and Abraham that his family will come. There's no plan B. It's not going to be Hagar and Ishmael, but through Sarah. And if you have a, a, a study Bible again, you will see that actually this is also in the past tense. The I will give you is actually I have given. Coming back to this idea that this promise is so real, it's like it's already happened. And when he hears this amazing promise, when he hears this amazing news, what does Abraham do? Well, he laughs. Me, a man of 100, will get my wife of 99 pregnant. Abraham bursts into laughter here. And we'll compare this to Sarah's laughter. In fact, we'll see lots of laughter in our passage this evening. We'll compare it uh, to Sarah's laughter later on. But I don't think Abraham's laughing because he thinks it's a joke or he thinks it's ridiculous. Because remember, Abraham does believe in this promise. He does believe that God is going to do something amazing through him. It's been tough. It's been a patient wait, but he does trust in God. I think he laughs because he just can't believe how blessed he is that God would do that. It's a laugh 
of joy. But then we also get that little line at the end, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Don't worry, God. Don't worry if your promise doesn't work out. It's great that you're going to do this, but don't worry because there's always Ishmael. And it couldn't be said any clearer. God says, no, it won't be Ishmael. I will establish my covenant between your descendants is what God says. Let's have a look at verses 19 to 21. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. So it's very clear that God's covenant is not with Ishmael. It's with Isaac. It's with Abraham and Sarah's descendants. But God hasn't forgot about Ishmael. There's actually a little bit of wordplay. If you remember what Ishmael means, it means God hears uh, so, so literally, if you read verse 20, it's pretty much saying, and as for God hears, I have heard you. God hears Abraham's cry, his worry over what will happen with Ishmael. And God's promise is so good, is so strong, that even though Ishmael is not the way God has chosen to bless the nations, uh, Ishmael will still share in that promise. He will still have a big family. God will still extend that grace to him. Another little wordplay we see is Isaac. If you know what Isaac means, he means it means he laughs. Lots of laughter. Abraham laughing, Sarah laughing in a minute. And in fact, Isaac's name means he laughs as well. And then in verse 21, we get a news flash. Another new bit of information that God is revealing. Isaac will be born in one year. After 24 years of waiting, not knowing God's promise is going to come about in one year's time. God just casually drops it into conversation that a one year, Abraham and Sarah will be parents. After this conversation is finished, because Abraham loves God, because he wants to obey God, because he wants to see this promise come about, he gets his whole household together, his sons, his servants, and they are all circumcised as God commanded Abraham to do. He fulfills the commandment of God to the letter. As a, a little aside, it's interesting that not just Abraham is circumcised and not just his son, it's not just Abraham's family that are to be circumcised, but any servants, any people working in his house, any foreigners, because God's will for them is that they are included in his people as well. It's not just to the rich and the famous and to the powerful, but even the servants in Abraham's house are part of this promised people that God is building. Let's move on and look at our last little passage, verses 1 to 15 of chapter 18. Uh, let's look at another little bit of laughter in this passage. Uh, we find Abraham sitting outside his tent. He's maybe having a little siesta, having a little afternoon sit down, and he looks up and he sees that there's three uh, men, uh, obviously a very good host. He invites them into his tent. He offers them something to eat. He offers them a place to rest. Uh, he probably doesn't know exactly who these men are at this point. We will find out later on in our passage, but it's evident that he has great respect for them. He runs out to them. He bows before them. 
and he welcomes into his tent. He wants to show them hospitality. He offers something them something little to eat. That's uh, interesting. That something little will soon turn into a feast. Uh, and with this uh, invitation to come into his tent, Abraham runs quickly into his tent in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, when everybody's tired, and he says, okay, Sarah, get up, get the oven on, get some bread in it, and get ready for our guests, and don't forget to do it quickly. Uh, get three sails of flour, knead it, and make some kicks, and don't forget to do it quickly. Uh, I'd imagine if you're baking bread at home, you probably measure your flour in grams, and maybe occasionally you use kilograms. Uh, but we're talking about a good substantial amount of uh, probably 15 or 16 kilograms of flour that Abraham gets his, his wife to start baking uh, with. Uh, that's a lot of bread. That's a lot of kneading. Uh, he's very clear that he wants this all done quickly. Uh, and after getting his wife on the job with the bread, he runs out uh, to his uh, young man and he tells the young man to get a bull and to slaughter it and to prepare it quickly. Uh, I've never personally butchered a cow before, but I'd imagine it's not something you can do quickly, uh, nor would I imagine needing 15 uh, kilograms of bread is something you can do pretty quickly either. And this little bit of food that Abraham offers has turned into quite the feast. Uh, by the time we get to verse 8, the feast is ready. Uh, Abraham brings some milk curds, which obviously complement the calf, and he stands beside these men ready to serve them, ready to um, be there for their every need. Uh, while these men are eating, they have a question. They want to know where Sarah is. Abram, where is your wife? Where is Sarah? Abram replies, well, she's, she's in the tent. Uh, one of the things about camping is how soundproof tents are. It's really helpful whenever you're on a busy campsite uh, and you want to get some sleep at night. You can't hear anything uh, at all. Uh, if you've ever been camping, you will know that's very far from uh, the truth. You can hear absolutely anything in a tent. Uh, and because Sarah is in a tent, because Abram lives in a tent, uh, just because she's not, not out with the men, she can still hear what's going on. She's just sitting at the door of the tent, we read, listening to what's going on in the conversation. Uh, have a little look at verse um, 10. You will see in verse 10 that one of the men said, surely I will return to you this time next year and your wife will have a son. And in this verb, we see what these men are, that this is not three random men that have come out for a little wander in the sun, but these men reveal themselves to be God. Now, we're not sure how that manifestation of God worked, but we are sure that this is God speaking to Abram. We're not exactly sure how that worked, but this is God. It's God with Abraham eating his food, sitting, talking to him, wanting to know where his wife is, reminding him that in one year's time he will have a son. God has already told Abraham this, so why does he tell it again? Well, remember, Sarah's listening. God hasn't told Sarah directly this promise. So now in his grace, in his love, God now gives that promise to her as well. Have a look at the end of verse 10. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. 
Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Uh, Moses, who's the author of Genesis, doesn't put this uh, lightly. It's not even just that Sarah is old, but actually she's so old that it's actually impossible for her to have children at this point. No longer even remotely possible for her to conceive and have a baby at this point in her life. And imagine how painful that must be for her. She's waited 24 years for this, and now she knows that it's no longer possible. Having a promised child from God, waiting and hoping. And as the years go on, as the time goes on, that promise becomes even more strained and even more distant now that she's no longer able to conceive. So she laughs to herself. And this isn't the same laugh as we see with Abraham. I think this is a laughter of, of pain. It's a laughter of bitterness. It's a laughter of irony. God, you come here now and you tell me that when I'm old and when I'm barren that I'm going to have a son. If you look back at our passage, verse 12, it seems that Sarah laughed to herself. It's kind of a little internal monologue. But remember, God is the God of Ishmael, the God who hears, and God has heard her laughter. Sarah thinks she's just talking to herself, but God asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh to herself whenever she said that I, whenever I said that she would have a child in her old age? And God says something beautiful then the lord said to abraham why did sarah laugh and say well i really have a child now that i am old is anything too hard for the lords i will return to you at the appointed time next year and sarah will have a son sarah denies her laughter she's afraid god reminds us that he's the god who hears even pain once again we see sarah failing like she did last time whenever she told her husband to sleep with her servant. But again, God shows grace and mercy. He affirms that she is wrong, that she is lying, but that he doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't punish her for her lack of faith. In our passage, we've seen two people laughing. Actually, laughter that will define the name of their baby. Isaac, a name that means he laughs. And in their laughter, they're pondering that great question, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm sure that's a question you've wondered about, is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe your response is a little bit like the laughter of Abraham, laughing with joy because you just can't believe how good and how great God is. Or maybe your laughter is a little bit like Sarah's, who struggles with that question. Is God really able to do the impossible in my life? Now, you will know from reading the rest of Genesis, uh, spoiler warning if you don't know, but God does the impossible in these people's lives. They do become a great nation. Sarah does bore a son in a year's time. We see how good God is to these people. The readers of Genesis, the people who it was written to, are probably very aware of this origin story, the impossible things that God can do as they wander around the desert, as they face battles with enemies much greater than themselves. And despite us focusing sometimes overly on the weaknesses and the feelings of Abraham and Sarah, when we read of them in the New Testament, they are remembered for their faith. 
Here's two passages from the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered faithful him who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God works a miracle in the life. He is God who can do the impossible. Did you, know, did you notice what the author of Hebrews called Abraham? As good as dead. Paul speaks similarly in Romans 9.14. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Remember that the story of the impossible God working miracles is, is our story. It's our ancient history. If God wasn't able to do the impossible, then there would be no us. There would be no Jesus. There would be no perfect one who was sacrificed for all, all sin. There would be no redemption for us. And it's amazing that God would do the impossible over and over again for people like us, people who are as good as dead. But praise God, he is the God of the impossible. What promises of the impossible has God given to you that you're struggling with? Maybe it's that sin that you'll think you'll never have victory over. The God of the impossible says that you have been set free from sin, that you're no longer a slave to it. That while we mourn and weep over our sin, while we will never be fully free from the day we meet him, we can be free from the sins that beset us most. Maybe you struggle with God's promise about prayer, that you keep praying for one person, you keep praying for one situation, but he never seems to answer. Have confidence in knowing that God hears us when we pray his will. Maybe you really struggle that your own salvation has nothing to do with you, that you didn't buy it or earn it or win it. Maybe you struggle to remember that we need to rely on our faith, to grasp onto the promises that we trust in. In a world that loves to achieve, that is obsessed with success, remembering that we're fully reliant on God and his righteousness is key. In times where we're feeling the guilt of our sins, remember that you are saved and secure when you trust in Christ and his wonderful promise. Sometimes that feeling of despair knowing that we are nothing without God, that he makes us or he breaks us is really where God wants us to be. It's for the times when we just have to laugh and say, God, how great are you and how great are your promises? Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you that whenever we read your word, we do find incredible promises we thank you that the bible is not full of bad news but full of good news and we pray for us god as we live in this world that seeks to draw us away from you as our hearts seek to draw us away from you we just pray god that in your grace and in your mercy that you would help us to trust in those promises even if those promises take 24 years to happen we pray god that our faith would be solid and secure in those 
We pray, God, wherever we are weakest this evening, we pray, God, whatever we struggle with most, we pray, God, that we would rejoice in you, for you're the good God who does the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen.